Welcome to A Bun Dance. You guessed it, a podcast dedicated to all things surrounding dance. I am Kristen. And I am Hannah, and we are two best friends who are brought together by this art form. Please join us in five, six, seven, eight. I am so excited to have with us today my former ballet teacher, Linda Giancaspro, or as I know her, Miss Linda. She was my ballet teacher in middle school through high school with the New England Ballet School and Company located in Orange, Connecticut. I always looked up to you, Miss Linda, as a mentor and have felt your continuous support over the years. And it's been quite some time since we've last seen each other last, but you've always been really wonderful at staying connected via social media and been such a huge supporter of the podcast. So welcome today. We're so happy to have you here. Thank you, Kristen. And thank you, Hannah. I'm pleased to meet you today as well. Uh, Kristen, let me say that it has been a joy to be around you all those years and to be working with you as a teacher and also even our private lessons together. It really was so memorable for me. And I have such fond memories of, of working with you. And I will say I'm very proud of you. Well, thank you so much. I have such great memories too. I actually stumbled across one of the pieces you choreographed years ago on YouTube the other day when I was preparing for this interview. And yeah, I have so many great memories of our time together. So, oh, how great. What what was the music? It was the Lindsay Sterling. Um, oh, yes. Yes. You both, both of us love Lindsay Sterling. Yeah. Contemporary point piece. Yeah. Yes. I remember now. Yes. Beautiful. Yeah, Linda, I'm so excited that you're here with us. Um, you seem like such a, a light and you've impacted Kristen so positively. So it's amazing to see someone that was so inspirational and impactful uh, in her life on our podcast today. So I'm excited to learn more about you. And that being said, can you start with discussing where your dance training began and where did it lead you as a young adult? Okay, well, I started quite late. I started at about 12 and a half, 13. My parents had sent me to a ballet camp with a very famous uh, Hungarian male ballet dancer, Ishvan Rabofsky, who would later become my mentor and my inspiration of my entire life. Uh, we remained friends until his death just a few years ago. Um, he was the person that really got me going with ballet. Uh, my parents had sent me for four weeks and I wasn't really trained in Russian ballet. I was hardly had any training. So I really had a lot of catching up to do. And it didn't matter to me the minute I got in there, the minute I was around him and all the excitement that he created about ballet and what ballet was about and all the wonderful things about it, I, I was hooked. And I called and begged my parents to let me stay another four weeks, which they did. So I was literally there for eight weeks at a summer ballet camp in the Catskills called Robofsky Ballet uh, Ballet Camp. And I, I, I wasn't even a ballet dancer, but I, I don't know what happened. I just was hooked immediately. And from there on, I literally took class every day of my life or at least five to six days a week from then on for many, many years. I probably switched to two days a week when I hit my 30s. Um, and even into my 40s, I still took classes, um, but it wasn't every day anymore. But I I was a staunch, <laughs> uh, just a person who loved ballet. And I think 
that is one of the main things that people will pick up about me the minute they are in a room with me. They will pick up on that love. And that has been my driving force my whole life. I want people to love ballet the way I do. I want them to want to seek more about ballet. That's a key thing for me. Uh, it could be a child. It could be an adult. After you've been with me in a certain in any situation, I'll 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 get you sparked to want to either look it up on the internet or look up a, a, a live performance, or perhaps look up a class. Uh, from the Rabofsky years, I then went to American Ballet Theater on 61st and Broadway for five years, where I trained every day, five days a week. Um, with Madame Paraslavic, Leon Danilian, Patricia McBride. I had some amazing teachers there that are unforgettable. Uh, back then, we called them Madames, and that was uh, something that I aspired to be. Um, I think I'm old enough now to be called Madame. I'm not sure, <laughs> uh, although people still call me Miss Linda, uh, but that was I don't know how many people grow up wanting to be a madame, but that was that was a goal of mine. And I, I believe I succeeded uh, because I am a well-known teacher at this point, and it is what I wanted people to know of me. Um, in my 30s, I moved on. That was all Russian training. That was all Vaganova. And I used to say I was a very strict Vaganova-trained teacher, but uh, in my 30s, I met a, the most beautiful woman, uh, Madame Nina Straganova, and she was with the Ballet Russe de Monte Carlo in the 1940s. So she was quite old when I was with her. But my training with her was so special. It was like seeing where Vaganova had come from. That's what I felt like when I was around her. I could tell it was the beginning of what I had learned. Um, and she would always tease me. And she, the first day she met me, this is something I'm very proud of. Uh, she kept walking by me in the class and saying, you remind me of someone, you remind me of someone, but you're never going to know who it is. And she would keep walking. And then at the end of the class, I said, Madame, who is this person I remind you of? And she said, oh, you'll never know the name, Nora Kovach. And that was Ishvan Rabofsky's wife, who they oh. danced. They danced together very famously with the Bolshoi, the Kirov, American Ballet Theater back in the 50s. Um, and she said, you are like Nora Kovach's clone. I just feel like I'm in the room with her. And even as I'm saying it to you now, I'm getting the chills because I, she was a magnificent woman and a beautiful, beautiful dancer. And I, I mean, that was really like a, a compliment of my lifetime. So needless to say, I spent years training with Nina Straganova after that compliment. And I really did learn a lot from her. Uh, nuances she brought forth to me in a very big way. Uh, detailed training for small children because I believe her background was a little more chiquetti. She was Danish born, born and uh, she spent time, as I said, with the uh, Ballet de Monte Carlo the Ballet Russe de Monte Carlo. And I think she also danced with American Ballet Theater when it was called Ballet Theater, not American Ballet Theater. It was so way yeah. back. Oh. And that's about that's about it for my training. <laughs> well, oh, it's just that. <laughs> yeah, just that. It's, it's just, just that. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Linda. That's so interesting. And I love how you had a teacher that has kind of, sparked your love and passion for it and now it sounds like that's exactly what you want to do for your students and for 
anyone really, anyone who comes across you, it sounds yes, like. It's really the truth. <laughs> I can absolutely vouch that that is the case. I, of course, loved ballet before we met, but your emphasis on like the artistry and the love for it embedded in all of your classes is just so wonderful. And, and the stories too, right? I, I, I would always try to incorporate unique stories from, you know, whatever my madams had told me from way back, crazy stories. And I, I, that just left such an impact on me. And I would try to do that and repeat those to my students. Uh, for a long time, I would think of myself as almost a historian. Uh, it is wonderful to be an artist and, and, you know, and find new things about what you do in your art world. But I really felt like I wanted to really house what these women taught me and Ishvan Rabovsky, he was a male. Um, but what these people taught me, I, I wanted to house that in my mind, clearly. I didn't want to change it. So to the best of my ability, I tried to give that to my students. Yeah, that's such a unique perspective. I've, I haven't quite totally thought of it that way in the past, but I, I love that. That's amazing because there is so much history to what we do. And I, I love the idea of moving forward, but also preserving and continuing to pass on. Um, right. I, I feel like maybe choreography is a great way to show your your side and your twist. But when it when it comes to training and being in the classroom, I like to try to be a purist as much yeah. as I can. Awesome. Well, you've taught in major cities at major schools such as Broadway Dance Center and Perry Dance, but you also did teaching at smaller, more local schools such as the New England Ballet Company. Can you maybe talk a little bit about how these different environments differed from one another and maybe the differences in the training specifically for those different kind of groups of students, the more pre-professional versus the more recreational students? Yes, yes, that is very interesting. And I think that's what's part of what kept my career so lively is that I was able to go from one type of dancer to another. Um, as much as I really do adore your level where it was a higher level and the girls were training all week long and they were very dedicated and I could really get into, you know, complicated things and, and things that took a lot of strength. Uh, and I adore that. And that's where I like to see myself mostly these days. Uh, but I loved small children. Uh, that would be more recreational. That That is the side of me where I get to be the Miss Linda of the magic of ballet and making them laugh and making them want to know the stories and, you know, uh, making them remember the little details about the technique in a funny way. Um, but I, I, I do enjoy both. Now, I've spent a lot of my years also at least 25 years on the road as a uh, adjudicator, a judge and a masterclass teacher for conventions. Now that is totally different because now you are performing once again. Generally, I was in the room with a hundred students at a time in these masterclasses and possibly in the very big heyday of Dance Olympus, Dance America, probably more hundreds of people. Um, and you know, what have you, you have jazz dancers, hip hop dancers, you have everybody crammed into this one room called advanced level or junior level or teacher level. Um, and you must think quickly on your feet. I would um, 
And when I was younger, I would try to have everything prepared. But then I started realizing, no way. Each room has a life of its own. And you have to be ready to jump and make changes accordingly that is going to fit that room of people. Make them feel fabulous. Make them feel like they're learning so much from you. Make them feel like they are not one of a hundred. And mm -hmm. I think I was quite successful at that. I really tried to make each student feel like I saw them. Because I think that was a big problem in the competitions. The kids in the back were always the kids in the back. And they were either afraid to come forward or they you know, just weren't, they felt they weren't good enough to remember the choreography. But I moved the room around or I moved myself around where those people thought that they were right near me. Um, I find that was one of my big calling cards to really um, even get the hip hop dancers in my court, <laughs> so to speak. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of great jazz trained dancers out there. Lots. They're gorgeous. They're not exactly my training and they may not have the, re the refinement I might look for in a ballet room, but they're beautiful. And I made them feel beautiful. But I also tried to incorporate some of the details I wanted them to remember. Uh, when I'm teaching at a convention on a higher level, I would always bring up the point Try now that you're old enough, try to learn something new from a, diff from a different teacher today and put it in your pocket and take it out later and say, hey, that worked for me. My, my teacher at home never really brought that up or told me that. Actually, it sounds kind of different. But if it works for you and you see that it works for you, keep it and add that to your genre of what you do. And I would bring that up often because I felt that's why you were there. You weren't there to just dance your feet off, you know, that and have fun with that choreography. You were there to to grab something and bring it with you to the training and to the next stage that you dance on. Yeah, Linda, this is um, so interesting to hear you talk about just because, I mean, personally, in my dance experience, I think a lot of times at master classes or at auditions or even summer programs, the teachers really don't take a lot of time to get to know your name or, um, you know, like really hone in on specifics in those classes. And I think what probably makes you so special and why people want to continue to take class with you is because you have that knack to really make people feel noticed. And so I- Yes, important. Yeah, very important. And we're all human beings at the end of the day, and we want to have that connection. Um, right. And I, I can give you a really cool tip right now that I really don't want other teachers stealing, but I'm going to say it anyway, because no one can do it like me, correct? Um, <laughs> I'm only joking. Uh, but one of my cool tricks in the being in a room with 100 people, I cannot learn your name. And I also feel like if I learn Kristen's name, then it's like, oh, she only really liked Kristen. The whole, you know, I felt like she was teaching her the whole time. So what I would do is it just uniquely hit me. I would just like if somebody had on a red leotard, I'd be like red. Um, or if somebody had, uh, you know, blonde hair, I'd be like blondie or, uh, you know, gentleman with the green pants on. Uh, or how about... Uh, you know, just I would come up with some kind of unique thing that would single people out and the kids would just really laugh and get a kick out of it. Um, and that would, would, you know, and I would really try to do it quite often and come up with cute things for different people. 
uh, because I wanted them to say, hey, you in the back, I do see you. <laughs> you know, I know when you're talking and you're not paying attention. So, you know, the girl with the gold sneakers on stopped talking and, you know, <laughs> so that, that was what that's one of my tricks that I would do. I would give them my own name and it kind of worked. Yeah. That's so interesting. Thank you for sharing your little. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm going to have to put that in my own toolbox, Linda. <laughs> good, good, good. Speaking of master classes, though, do you have any advice as to how to obtain these opportunities? Do you usually seek them out or do people come to you and contact you? Well, at this point, people do contact me, um, but actually it's not all the time. I am not afraid to make a cold call. Um, I know today uh, being online makes things a bit easier. You can get people's emails. You can write them on Instagram. Uh, so it is a little bit easy to reach out back in my day. It was literally a phone call and hard mailing your, your resume as quickly as you could. Um, so now you can get your resume in people's hands quickly. Um, they can see, you know, if you have a big background. So for me, that works, but for a young person, um, I, I suggest it, it is that old adage to get a job, you kind of need a job or maybe one or two jobs behind you because you need to show what you have to offer. You know, you've got to capture that person's attention quite quickly. Otherwise, they're moving on. Uh, so I would say, you know, and I would say constantly upgrade or, or you know, keep your, your resume current. Uh, to this day, even though maybe I'm not seeking out as many jobs as I once was, my resume is current. And as a matter of fact, I just looked at it the other day just to see if I could tweak it again. I mean, it's just something that I do and it's something mm -hmm. it's like part of my habit. Uh, yeah. But I say always keep your resume current. Uh, keep photos of yourself current because today it's such a picture, you know, photo picture world. Um, and don't be afraid to reach out to someone and don't be afraid to be turned down. Plenty of people are going to turn you down. So just, you know, let it go by and move on to the next person. Uh, my first job was with Dance America, Dance Olympus. And I believe that I just happened to hit the guy right when they lost one of their ballet teachers. I mean, I don't know. I still don't know to this day, but I have, I have, because it was so hard to get into that company. They were so loyal to their teachers. They hardly ever, I mean, they never replaced me in 25 years. So, you know, and there were quite a few teachers on staff there that I was with religiously traveling all over the United States with these people. Um, so they were they were a wonderful company. They're closed right now, but they were a wonderful company and they they kept their teachers. So for me to actually jump in there, it was really a lucky day because that put me on the the uh, the competition map. It really did. So from there, I, I was able to make a lot of moves. Uh, I, I hit a good job also when I was quite young teaching for uh, St. John's University. And I, that was, I was on the Queens campus and I was part of the athletic program. Uh, that, that is a very big law school and athletic. They have a big athletic program, but they do not have an art program there that I, back then anyway. So I wasn't part of an arts program. I was literally part of the athletic program, but it was classical ballet that I taught. And uh, I was there also for 20 years. So, yeah. So that was another that was another strong thing on my resume that said to people, oh, this person, you know, even if it was just that I was at St. John's for a couple of years, five years, it was still something that I had 
to say, hey, look at me. I have something to offer. I can work on a college level. Right. Yeah, that's so wonderful. And then kind of tying into what you were talking about, teaching all these conventions and everything. During my time training in Connecticut, you actually ran your own competition, Raising the Bar. Raising the Bar, yes. Yeah, and I actually got to participate in that and it was such a wonderful experience very healthy and nurturing opportunity can you just talk about a little bit what it was like to run an event like this and yes I, I I will say I enjoyed doing it but I will say it was one of the hardest things I've done because it was I guess it was getting you know launching something and it was launching something big because you wanted it to be, you know, known in different states. Um, and I could not break the 50 mark of 50 students. I ran it for, I don't know if it was like three or four years. And then I did let it go. Um, mm-hmm. And I let it go because I got some feedback from a few people that, oh, word on the street is that it's too hard. And it's very geared to ballet dancers. And if you don't have a strong ballet background, you know, your students are not going to like it. And the competition world is not ballet strong. Right. You know, you've got the really big house, you know, ballet competitions. That's a different world. The world I was doing was more of the jazz, tap, hip hop, ballet, contemporary, you know, all around dancer world. That's where I was known. Um, and it was very hard to break in. And when I heard that, it really spoke miles to me. And I said, you know, I, because people don't like, people don't want to be challenged. Come on guys, get challenged. You know, why don't you want to be challenged? I thought, good, this is a hard program. Why not? I would sign up for that. But the way this person said it to me, he was like, you know, I really feel like it's holding you back. So I tried to get a couple of really jazz known names and I did that for maybe possibly like the last two years of it. And it's still, it, I just could not break that 50 mark. And I thought, well, if I can't break 50, you're not going to bring in a lot of money because the venues cost so much money. The, uh, you know, you have to be in the ballrooms and you have to have a theater and the, the venues cost quite a bit. So that was hard for me. And I thought it, it wasn't costing me a lot, actually. I just wasn't really making money. So mm-hmm. I thought, okay, I think I'll just, be a hired hand and go back to my, you know, being hired out. But it mm-hmm. was interesting. And I agree with you. I think the kids that did come loved it and had a great time. Uh, when I started it, I based it on the idea that I wanted it to be for younger dancers to feel comfortable going to the bigger competitions, to feel mm-hmm. comfortable going to Nutcracker auditions. Remember, we had a big slant towards the Nutcracker. And learning the Clara variation and, yeah. you know, it was all about Nutcracker. Um, so I, I, I thought that was like such a great niche niche to do that. But it really didn't, it didn't go the way I had planned and I let it go. Mm-hmm. But you know what? Yeah, it sounds like a great learning experience overall. And I think that's just part of like having such a long and such a successful career is you're going to try different things out and some hats are going to fit and others might not. And then that leads you to the next thing that is what you're meant to be doing. So I give you a lot of credit taking on that endeavor and it's okay that maybe it wasn't as successful as you had hoped. Yes, exactly. And I, and I think that that's a message that's a very large message 
for any artistic person. If you want to be in the arts, you need to be able to fail or not fail, but you need to not always connect because mm -hmm. as an artist, you have to have a plan where you are self-motivating, you are self-creating, you are, um, what is that word? Uh, not redefining yourself, but re, there's a neat word for that, where you actually, re, you know, you actually almost turn like yourself re into. Reinvent maybe? Is that what yes, you're like you Yes, reinvent is the word I'm looking for. You actually reinvent yourself over and over again. Mm -hmm. And you need to do that. And I think, you know, you need to do that even in your marriage. I, you know, you've got to keep it current. You've got to keep it happy. Uh, you need to do that with your friends. You can't just be this old stagnant person that just is all about the same thing constantly. So I think that's something that I'd like young people to understand. Don't be afraid to try things that may not work and reinvent yourself. Be an artist that is not afraid to reinvent and come up with, you know what? I'm not getting a job doing this. Let me see if I can do that. Yeah, love that. Uh, part of what I do is motivation. So I, you know, at this point I'm like, maybe I could become a motivational speaker and, and sit down for a while, but, <laughs> but that wouldn't be me. I, um, you'll laugh because Kristen right now, I'm highly involved in myself at the moment because I was getting, I've never had any, really serious injuries. I've been a quite a lucky dancer and I haven't had much pain, but recently I've had like a knee thing going on with one knee and I have just recreated myself into this person who I work out. Um, I work out every other day doing my ballet buster, which as you know, is a creation of mine, which is yoga, Pilates and ballet, but I've made it much more, um, uh, um, you know, where you're working on your muscles for uh, injury, injury prevention. So mm -hmm. it's much more around that. And I have been so successful with my own knee. I, I'm telling you, I was, I was at the point where I was noticing that I was constantly standing on one leg more than the other because it was hurting. Uh -huh. I am not doing that at all anymore. My knee is almost back. Wow. And it was, it's all this work that I have done and I noticed that my knee was tightening up compared to my other one. And so I went back to stretch it where it needed to be stretched and found all these strange little nooks and crannies where I could get at. And I really believe I've helped my knee. That's incredible. So that's, you, you asked me, you, you said you were going to ask me what was one of my new things. And I know that's an odd thing to bring up, but it really is one of my newest things that I'm doing. And um, I, I really enjoy it. And as I said, I, I do this workout every other day. It takes me about an hour. That's a big workout. And then I do every other day from that, I ride my bike at least five to six, seven miles. And, and that's Amazing. an outdoor, that's an outdoor thing that I enjoy doing. I hope, I hope to continue your type of lifestyle as I get older. <laughs> yeah. you know, like you're, you're incredible and you do it all. It's, it's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Um, I'm and still, I am still, uh, I know you wanted to know about what I'm doing now. I am still doing master classes. I do, uh, in the summer, I'm quite busy. I do a lot of uh, uh, intensive ballet programs where I teach. I'll go in for a week with a certain school, what have you, different schools invite me. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I do, I do in Florida, I do do uh, quite a few. I put myself at, myself out there as a substitute teacher. 
Mm. I don't always call it a masterclass because masterclasses come off as expensive. So I've decided to use the word substitute teacher. So when someone needs me, they call me in. And for right now, that's what I want. Because uh, as till last year, I was teaching on a regular basis, three days a week, quite a lot. And I just said, you know, I want to travel. You know, I love my boat. I've been, I want to travel on my boat. I, my son lives in LA. I'd like to go out to LA a lot more. Um, so I, I needed to have time off. And this was my way of, I just cannot stop teaching. I, I can't, I, I love it too much. So this is my way of staying in the industry, but not locked to a studio. Because yeah. I once I tell you I'm going to be there, I will not miss a week. I will be there week after week, you know, from September to August or whatever it is you want me for. So I, you know, I won't miss. And I, I give up a lot of things that I could be doing. So mm -hmm. I have become a substitute and a master class teacher. Um, and my town in Florida, Punta Gorda, has a world class or a professional level symphony called the Punta Gorda Symphony. And I am in talks with them right now to do a summer camp uh, or to join their summer camp as a masterclass teacher for musicians, for children, for child musicians, uh, for their program. And I thought, what a great thing to add to a musician's program, a, a ballet class or, you know, an, an easy ballet class, an introductory ballet class. Um, and I think I could do a great job at enticing them to understand how the music affects a ballet dancer and how important they are to a ballet dancer's life and then try to get them to move around. Yeah. Wow. That's such a awesome idea. I absolutely love that. And a few things that you mentioned, I just wanted to ask a couple quick little questions. So are you actively teaching ballet busters still or is it just more of a practice for yourself I know um, uh, I, I, I will from you. I I do teach ballet busters sometimes at different studios when they ask me mm -hmm. uh, but it right now I am doing it mostly for myself um I I you know I probably could get a zoom thing going with that I think that would be interesting and fun uh but again I just I feel like right now at this time in my life I just want a little time to not have a schedule, you know, right. such rigid schedule. Um, so right now that's pretty much where I'm at. Yeah. But awesome. catch me in a couple of months from now, if you come up with an idea where you need a ballet buster lady, <laughs> I'm your girl. Absolutely. <laughs> I love that you are making all this traveling and teaching work because like you said, it is a very delicate balance. And I find myself that as much as I love teaching and I'm teaching five days a week currently, it's very challenging with, you know, if say I had like, I had a week off from dancing, but I still had all my commitments to all my yes. different schools that I teach at. So I couldn't like go out of town to visit family or friends or anything. Like I still was kind of locked into that like academic school year calendar that can be really tricky. Yeah. To, to make traveling possible. So I think that's so that really is, awesome that is how hard. you kind of made this, created this own system for yourself to have the best of both worlds. Yes. And, and it took years to try to figure it out. Um, I was very good at replacing myself. That's a good thing for you to think about as a teacher. Um, I never would just call in and say, and I've been doing that for years from when I was young. I don't know. It just always made sense to me. Um, if, if I was not going to be there, I would find a replacement for myself. 
mm-hmm. and that takes the weight off the person your 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 boss and people Absolutely. like that about me and they feel you know that I'm 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 quite dedicated I find my own replacements and mm-hmm. uh so that that that's one of my my tricks of of keeping people happy where I could go away on a weekend cuz you know sometimes weekends are big for us as teachers in a school uh you know New England ballet it was a major weekend we worked 8 hours a day all weekend long so when I left to do these jobs on the road and and my jobs on the road paid a lot of money I I really wanted to do them not just for the money but I loved doing them and I wanted to make sure I could fit that in so we would always try to replace, I would try to replace myself. And at the time, uh, Kenneth Hopkins was very good at replacing me too. So, mm-hmm. so that worked. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I am curious, um, Linda, what was it like being a ballet mistress and working towards developing a cohesive line for the company while training young people to find their emotional connections to their roles? Well, that was one of the joy jobs of my life. I spent 17 years there. And uh, by sidetracking, by the way, I had my own children's school called Artistic Dance at the same time. And I've had that for many, many years. And at that time, for 17 years, I was pretty much teaching seven days a week because I had my own school in New York and I taught quite a lot for New, New England Ballet. Um, and I also did have teachers finally at my school in New York, I did have to give some classes up. But in the beginning, before New England Ballet, I was the only teacher there. I taught all my own classes in my own studio. Uh, But once I became ballet mistress, I had to give that up and I had to divide my time. But I taught for 17 years. I was pretty much on the go. You know, it sounds crazy, but I I did do it. Um, And I I loved every minute of it. Um, I loved being with the integrity of the level of students at the new england ballet um they really wanted to have the dynamic training the detailed technical aspect but they wanted the dynamicism came in when they wanted to learn how to portray a character how to even just portray a ballerina um how to nuance that was very big with the New England Ballet. I think that was one of the biggest signatures I put on that company. They were very well trained when I got there, but I felt like they really didn't have that cohesive line. And I used to tease my artistic director at the time. And I was there for about five years and I would say to him, okay, now I'm gonna work on their feet. And he would say, what are you talking about? And I said, well, I just spent five years working on their upper body, their arms, their hands, their head, their eyes. And he says, are you, I said, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. He says, and I said to him, now I'll go after their feet for true strength. And I said, but I'm not going to get it out of them unless you make them come five days a week. (laughs) And he would laugh. But these, you know, these were things that we would discuss. And I believe you girls were there uh, training four days a week, but dancing at least five to six. Yeah. To do those ballet, the the feet that you want of a true ballerina, you have to dance every day. Uh, I think we got close to the strength of that foot. Uh, as you know, the big thing was the, my big thing was the high releve, the arch, the high releve and the strength in the toe. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's all very minute ideas, but you can't build a dancer without that. Uh, but I really did do that. I worked on the upper body of that company so hard because I, I felt a ballet company is what? 
It's a group of people that all look alike. <laughs> That's what it, and then you have the stars that come out. You know, then you have the soloists and then you have the primas and the premier dancers. But first you have the corps de ballet and that corps de ballet has to look like spitting images of each other. And I okay. went for that. I went for that big time. And I feel like I really got that out of, you know, my, my people. And I was very proud of them and extremely proud. Um, and I, I just adored being there. It was a wonderful work environment at the time. Kenneth Hopkins really allowed me to have full range of what I wanted to do. Um, he had a major background himself, but he was really, it, it's, it's about what you, what your vision is. And then his vision was really what the repertoire was going to, you know, what we were going to put the repertoire together. And that was what his vision was, what the company was going to dance and who was going to dance what. But mine was what they were going to be trained like. Yeah. Well, you should be really proud of everything you've done, not only there and during my time that I've experienced with you, but just your whole career and even what you're doing now. You are absolutely incredible and such an inspiration. Thank you. Me and I know so many other dancers. Yeah, I just want to say too, Linda, you seem like such a positive force and you're like exactly what I want to be when I'm your age. <laughs> like, Thank so, you. That's a big compliment. Yes. Oh my gosh. You, you are incredible. And I am so impressed by all that you have done and accomplished over your years. And it sounds like, you know, you're not even, you're not done yet. You're not in retirement. You're going to keep going until. I'm going to keep going. And you girls will laugh at this for years. It's, it's amazing that I'm sitting in front of this Florida background, by the way, because for quite a few years, I would never let anyone know that I was in Florida <laughs> because I said, they're going to say I'm retired and I don't want anyone to think that. But I, I think I've gotten a little bit past that at the moment. I don't mind people knowing that I'm here, but I'm not retired. I, <laughs> I, don't, I mean, I, I maybe I am, but I, in my brain, I'm not. And I, I want to keep on um, adding to this, this, this career that I've built. Um, and wherever it takes me, I, I'm a funny individual that way. Like if I end up, you know, teaching, you know, musician children, <laughs> for a while i i will get into it and be happy with that um and and i will spring from there so it's just an example i'm giving you you know that i will what when i do it whenever i'm able to be around the ballet environment wherever it happens to be i'm in my element and i feel happy yeah, I feel like if I really feel like I'm really dragging somebody with me, then I'm even happier. <laughs> so, yeah, so that makes me, you know, just really excited. Yeah, well, I feel like um, the perfect saying for this is like when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. I feel like that's that's your <laughs> trademark. Like you're just there. You go. How about when life gives when life adds years? <laughs> I have to come up with an ending for that one. That's <laughs> <laughs> life gives you years. You just you you keep uh, taking them off, I guess, by doing what you love. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a pleasure being with you, two young, beautiful dancers today. Oh, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure to have you on. It's about time. I know we've been talking about this in theory for a while now, but I'm glad we were actually able to- And it was to hard to get me, happen. right? I was in demand somewhere else. You were hard, it was hard to get me, but you finally did. 
<laughs> yes. And I'm, I'm so glad we made this happen. It was so great to talk to you. Thank you. Wonderful, Kristen. I'm sending many kisses your way. <laughs> Back at you. I hope I get to meet you in person at some point, Linda. Yes. Yes, Hannah. I hope so. I hope, I hope we so. do. Yes. Thank you so much. <laughs> Have a wonderful evening, ladies. You too. Thanks for tuning in to Abundance. We appreciate your support. We hope to have PK in your interest. Feel free to contact us at AbundancePodcast5678 at gmail.com and give us feedback on what you'd like to hear. That is Abundance without parentheses. Go dance yourself silly. Bye for now. A special thank you to Richard D. Fiore for our lovely podcast tune and Matt Mellish for our cover art.